What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 19. That's one nine of the podcast. So I'm very glad you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this podcast aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two games in a major event, and we are breaking down the mistakes that they perceived they made and how they plan to move forward off those mistakes. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? We've all done it. Hindsight is 2020. Well, heresy is afoot in the Harbor Heresy in Washington. We are bringing our best in faction homies on to talk about some Thousand Sons versus Thousand Sons mirror hate. This is part one of the episode, and in this part, we will analyze the game. We'll talk about common mistakes, the secondaries they chose, the mission type, target priority, and the mistakes that maybe they made or maybe they didn't make. We'll find out. Part two of this episode will be available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com. And in that part, we will dive into strategies, list adjustments, all the good stuff the player could adjust moving forward. We will talk about their army into shooty armies, into melee armies, into different types of armies. We'll see how it plays into your army in part two. We'll talk about new strategies and that elite player mindset. My co-host today, I would like to take a moment of silence for... It has been 10 episodes since we have mentioned it, but let's all recall the time that he beat a fire raptor. You know, I, and I, I did not beat the fire raptor. You know what? <laughs> I have so few games this this tournament season that we can trash me on, but this one keeps coming back. This is the gift that keeps giving. It's the herpes of games. It never yeah, goes away. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I'm talking about Brad Dose. He is a nine-time Team USA member. He has won some Adepticons. He's a three-time top eight LVO finisher, Arms Force GT Champion 2021, the 2021 ACO Champion, Mr. Brad Chester. Hooray! Brad, my question for you is actually, I, I have to know, how many Adepticons have you won? It depends if you go on just when they started doing Best General, because back in my day, kids, they did they only started doing the War Master. I've won one War Master, and I've won several Best Generals. Because I, like their archives are like impossible to trace. It's like this like spreadsheet of like like manic like manic spreadsheet with like twenty different winners. And you're like, what what is going on? And, like Brad's name just like randomly back, appears in the back middle of the it. day when they used to care about comp and painting. I did not get good scores in those things. I, however, got a lot of battle points. You got a lot of bad sports. People are just just goose egging you uh, for. I have so many best sportsmen. You got to be friendly. <laughs> it's impossible not to be friendly. You're playing with toy soldiers and drinking. It's always good. I feel like that's like the the baseline of this of Unbroken, like the the general theme. Our uh, our guest today, he is known for Best in Faction podcast. He is one of the Charity Hammer guys. He has won multiple GTs majors over the year. I'm talking about Mr. Chuck Arnett. Hooray! Hey. Thanks for having me, <laughs> Chuck. How awesome was the Charity Hammers Charity Hammers Final Hall this year? Uh, it's a uh, I don't know. It's an amazing event, right? Obviously, it does a lot for charity. It does a lot for our community. Um, I'm still trying to watch through all of the games uh, on YouTube. Like it's just, it's so much. I couldn't believe, man. I could not believe the final number of what they brought in. That's like insane. That's like a legit charity. Like it's like the yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it's a gala ball of 40k. It's nuts. Yeah, we went in there looking for uh, 20k, and in the end, we're past 40k. Um, certainly, a community surprised <laughs> surprised us real good. I actually commentated a couple games on that, and it was so freaking fun. Like, I definitely want to get involved with the commentator again next year. It was, it was really good. But let's talk. Let's talk about your event. So you were playing up at the Harbor Heresy up in Washington, and what's what's the name of the city that it's in? I cannot say it. <laughs> Hoquiam. Hoquiam. Why yep. do we got to really? Up, he got to make up cities. You can just tell us where it really was, bro. <laughs> half, half of the stuff in Washington sounds made up. It's it's all uh, Native American, so it totally doesn't fit in with you know regular I, English. But it's dude, great. We, I want to talk about this list, man. I dig your list a lot. Yeah. Oh boy, let's ba- back up a little I, bit, Brad. Uh, but I'm so excited because he's got big unit of spawn, which makes me super happy. <laughs> I, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, but let's talk about a couple things first. I want to know about this event. I want to know like the number of players. I want to know what kind of terrain layout because that's the, the hot thing right now. What terrain did y'all use? Just want you to know I'm pouting until we talk about the spawn. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't use any of the terrain layouts that people would be familiar with, unless of course they watch Charity Hammer. Um, we use them at Charity Hammer. It's very dense. There's a lot of lines and L's that block. Ooh, and then I was we a use... hammer. Tell me which one we used. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the crystal table? Yes. That one, uh, the spaceship table. Uh, all Ooh, the, all three of the tables that we had for um, for streaming were, were made from the Warbird Labs, which is the group that makes these train sets. Very and cool that's what they used the table. Yeah, I really enjoy them. And they look nice, so it kind of adds to that. Uh, what, but what's, I think what's they... most important to understand is it's dense. Um, there's there's a lot of of obscuring and a lot of line of sight blocking. So it's kind of in line with like what Games Workshop put out, like with like big where you have to kind of get across the table. A lot it kind of favors more melee type armies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Uh, we we talk about it in, in how many raiders can you hide? You can hide five to six as opposed to four. Um, that's a good. That's like the general measurement tool these days. How many yep, raiders? How many raiders? How many raiders can I hide? Give me your give me your raider count for each of the big popular ones. I'm I'm curious as to what what you would say on like Games Workshop versus like the. TW is so mistake. You can, it, it's so hard to hide raiders in a couple yeah. of their their <laughs> their terrain. It looks like it. You can hide all your raiders as long as you're willing to start in your backboard edge. Exactly. And I think that I actually I kind of like that. It's like you can hide if you want to, but you're giving up some initiative. So there's a choice there. Um, but I agree that the GW one, I think you can get away with four for sure. Right. Um, depending on how quick your opponent is. Yeah, it's it's basically your if you want to be all the way back, you can do three comfortably. Uh, and then if you get it depends on which which one it is, too. It's a lot easier to hide on the uh, hammer and anvils and the uh, board corners and Vanguard than it is the Dawn of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like y'all's event. What y'all had around fifty people there? Yeah, they were just just. I think I think it was forty nine that they ended up with because they had we had a buy going. We were just short of a major, which is always a shame. But you know, these times it's kind of hard to get everybody together. And you were one of the 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 guys debuting these thousand suns. I mean, they're hot. They just came out a couple weeks ago, and you you went five and one. And your loss was to a mere thousand suns, which I think is really interesting. I'm very excited to talk mm-hmm. about this. So, with that said. Brad, do you want to hear his list now? Yeah, I want to hear this list. I want to talk right. about the spawn all day. Let's walk through this thing. Of course, it's it's a Thousand Suns list, so it's complicated. <laughs> Even though this is, I think, a simpler version. Um, I start out with uh, my Warlord Exalted Sorcerer on disc. Um, I've given him the Forbidden Lore and the Rahati upgrade, which is essentially he gets one more power and one more cast. And I've given him the Athenian Scrolls. His powers are the Zeech's Firestorm, Doombolt, and Gaze of Hate. Um, and he's the, sorry. Most important, this is duplicity. 
uh, and it's 100 duplicity. So this guy's job is to. It's, it, we all know that they're starting to play duplicity on that. <laughs> Can you just tell us when, when you're put in battle scrap? They're like, besides duplicity, do you want anything else? Do you want to, do you want to bring <laughs> mutation with that? <laughs> no. What is uh, for those listening who may not know or are new to the book? What what did this duplicity bring to the table for you? For the most part, it's a psychic power that allows you to uh, pick a unit up and, and redeploy it outside of nine inches of the enemy. So to, to jump for shorthand. The other part is it gives you a warlord trait that allows you to uh, redeploy D3 infantry units. So yeah, so it's it's a manipulation. It's You're, you're getting a lot of board manipulation off that. It's awesome. It's just, it, it, movement is such a big thing in 40k. Ninth edition yep. is so based around it. And when you get the uh duplicity it's it's i feel it's just head and shoulders ahead because of that you know what i mean you have more mm-hmm. ability to move your your models than any other one so for sure I, and i think that's actually if you look at it we'll talk about it as, as i get through the whole list but that's the core of what i tried to do was i wanted thousand sons was, a, was just a slow army to be able to react still right so for this guy he bounces around and he shoots out mortal wounds um it's very easy to shoot him forward 24 inches plus d6 Dump a, a pile of mortal wounds on somebody, spend a CP, and have him bounce back with 3d6 so you can cast that duplicity power and bounce back to my deployment zone to safety after he's wrecked something that they thought was hidden. So he's kind of like indirect fire. Um, second up on the list is Zeramon on disc. Um, he's rocking my uh, my Weaver Fates, which is your plus the four plus invuln, um, a swelled by the warp for being better at punching things, and then Baleful Devolution, which is just more mortal wounds. It's a lot of what I got going on. And then I pull in an Infernal Master. Um, he's he's carrying that that redeploy warlord trait, and he's deploying the Ordery, which is a a relic where you pick it pick somebody he can see at the beginning of the turn, and you ignore modifiers for core units within six inches of him to to hit rolls, to wound rolls, and to damage. He's bringing along Clamor, which is the minus one to be hit, so because he, he's handing that out to uh, probably the Terminator unit most of the time, and then he's giving me the plus one strength to all of my ranged attacks packed. And the the last character is a sorcerer. Um, I gave him the Ether Stride, so he moves nine inches and flies. Um, he also has the Prism of Echoes. This allows him to use his buffs out to twice their normal distance. Uh, most importantly, on Temporal Surge, going from six to twelve, and then being able to make that into an eighteen uh, means that I can pull off a lot more plays later in the game that maybe I didn't plan for, but I see as they come up. And then he's also throwing Presage on my uh, on the Terminators or on a Volkite. Uh, I need to give you max props on this because I love the fact that on your list you listed every single cast power. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually been, I don't know, I've, I've had friends say that I have the best for, paperwork in 40k and I'm, I'm, I am proud of that as much as that is a nerd, uh, nerd cred or not. Just so nice. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no question. It's anytime you can do anything that goes, hey, here's what I'm doing. No arguments, no Gotchas, no anything. I just have this. If you need a notary for 40k, find Chuck. He will do it for you. <laughs> let's see here. Let's 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 look at the troops. I got four units of Rubrikai. Uh, two of those are maxed out with flamers. They have four of the warp flamers and a warp pistol. Those ones um, have the ferric flux for the plus one strength of their flamers. And then I have two units that have um, the empiric guidance, and they also have a soul reaper cannon each. Um, that just ended up happening because I had 20 points left over um we'll, we'll talk about that later uh and then sort of the the big the big centerpiece of the of the army 10 scarabacult terminators they have two reaper cannons two hellfire missile racks um and the rights of coalescence so that they heal themselves every turn and they're can, carrying can, can you give me a sorry on that yeah. but can you do me a favor and because we were kind of blowing it off i was talking to john uh about this uh last time we were talking and we kind of just assumed everybody knew can you go over 
uh, the buffs that you can put on that 10 man brick of, of terminators oh, sure. <laughs> to show because people like go, oh, it's just 10 terminators. You're like, eh, it's not really just 10 terminators. They the synergies with it are very strong. If you could go over that to everybody listening. Yeah, let's let's go over. Let's do the all in. So I can give them a four up invuln save. I can give them minus one to be hit. I can give them plus one to hit with their shooting in, in close combat. I can give them plus one strength to their shooting weapons. Um, I can make it so I ignore your modifiers to hit, to wound, and to damage. So, for instance, if you're minus one damage off of a uh, dreadnought, uh, what else can I do? I think. Oh, I can give them. I can move them twice, or I can redeploy them. Um, I think I'm missing something. Oh, and then obviously reroll once, and then I can go plus one to wound on with a strat. Uh, I can pick anything I want to and obliterate it, is, is what it looks like. <laughs> I mean, it's huge for me that the ignoring yeah. the minus one damage is such a big deal because people aren't ready for that. Oh, yeah. Um, particularly uh, the other two, uh, I've got two contemptors, two Volkai contemptors in the list. And the theory that actually never panned out was that it would be great against Dreadnoughts. I didn't get a, a match against them, but uh, they're heavy in that meta. So it was very likely that I could, you know, walk a contemptor out, give him all those buffs. And blow away one of their contemptors or severely damage one of their uh, the bigger ones. The contemptors, yeah. Yeah. So then we got the, those two two Volkite contemptors. Uh, I didn't put missiles on mine. Um, I believe that Thousand Suns do very well at posting up in a corner and and holding out uh, and daring you to come at them. Uh, so I wanted to make sure I stayed very particular on what my wildly stands were. So I wanted the Terminators and the two disc characters. So I didn't want to add uh, the missiles there, even though they would have been kind of nice. And then I have my that five-man unit of spawn, and then two one-man units of spawn, and then a, a rhino with an extra infernal combi bolter. Um, I'm going to give him a shout-out, if you haven't, give it a try, because Thousand Suns Rhino picks up that five-plus invuln save, and the fact that their bolters are infernal combi bolters, so you're getting AP2 off of them, um, He's a whole different level of annoying to your opponent than a regular Rhino, and Rhinos were already annoying. So it is kind of brutal. Wonderful. AP two an AP two Rhino with an, with a five up invuln sounds kind of nice, actually. Yeah, I drove them into it's, people. They'd wrap them so up like, okay, well, I'm going to fire these these oh, at you. <laughs> a cheap guy with a five up invuln and T seven with a lot of wounds can really just be irritating mm-hmm. to deal with. Also, it's not bad when you're dealing with other people doing mortals because you're like, feel free to mortal my Rhino. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, enjoy or my spawn. <laughs> I love the spawn. How did the spawn perform over the weekend? Um, they were either really wonderful. So this is how I, generally how I use them was first turn. Um, I see a, an error in where you're at, and I can drop my terminators. I can teleport my terminators somewhere and kill off something without being reprisals against. So I will. I won't do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the buffs for defense on the spawn, and then push them forward and hold space on the table. Um, I'm going to touch some objectives with them. And so my opponent is in a situation where they have to spend, they have to expose a lot of their army from that point if they want to kill these five spawn, which cost me 115 points. But that's, at this point, 20 wounds. There's T5 with a four up, and it's minus one to be hit. And it's it's going to take a lot more than my opponent has wants to put into killing them. But if they don't, I get a 15. So I'm like, great, whatever, here you go. What are we going to do? Um I don't use them in combat very much. Um, in most of the games I've learned, it, most people like Dark Eldar are going to easily say you know, whatever, lightning fast, and give you minus one to hit, and they're not going to do much. Um, against other Marines, they're pretty decent, but I don't really have Marine problems. Um, 
I think maybe once over the whole weekend, I spent the the stratagem to give them plus one attack each and pick the uh, reroll wounds mutation, which is which was pretty great. Let's talk about this game. What right. talk about talk about the the mirror list first, Brad? Do you have that pulled up in front of you there? I oh, do. Yeah. It's not even fully on the mirror because it's got cult of mutation. We got double mm-hmm. double uh, detachment. So cult of mutation first. We've got kind of the usual suspects. We've got Aramon, an exalted sorcerer. Infernal Master, and then we've got two units of Rubric Marines with just standard guns, and then we've got one with Warp Flamers. We've got two individual Chaos Spawn, and then two Forge Fiends rocking up. I think that I'm not going to lie that the most <laughs> the most improved award of the year goes to the You're Thousand right. Suns <laughs> uh, Demon Engines that are Rhino. And then we've got a uh, Patrol of Cold of Time, an Exalted Sorcerer, a Sorcerer, a unit of Rubrics, and then we've got a big unit of Occult Terminators rocking in at exactly 2,000 points with the two Soul Reaper cannons on the Terminators. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. If you sort of squint at that list, our lists are kind of a mirror, right? If you the Contemptors and the um, Forge Fiends are filling the same role, our Terminator Brick is sort of filling the same role. Um, like we have a lot of the same sorts of pieces. Um, so Zach and I have been talking back and forth quite a bit, uh, leading up to this event and he's been, he's probably 15 practice games or so ahead of me. So he has been sort of feeding me information and giving me suggestions and such before we started, you know, got matched up. This feels like that scene in Anchorman where the Anchorman teams like meet up and they fight in the middle of the. So it's kind of like that. You're both anchormen, but you're slightly different variations. Yeah, you're just fighting. Yeah, that, that escalated quickly. <laughs> did you did you use a baseball bat or like a uh, what would you have? What'd you bring to the table with you? Just just moxie, really. That's all. We're... Moxie, a lot of moxie. <laughs> Should have brought the trident. <laughs> Brad, tell me yeah. why. Tell me why these forge fiends are so improved in the Thousand Suns. Uh, just literally everything. Their stats change. They they just have a lot of just better things they can do. They they upped everything on them and they decreased points on them. So basically, both of them. The Forge Fiend and the Mauler Fiend, uh, they be, they got more shots, more attacks, and they got cheaper. So it just felt pretty decent that they went from the dumpster. They did lose their full reroll strat uh, from CSM on these, but everything else about them is pretty tasty. I'm not going to lie. Is this a foreshadowing to the Chaos Space Marine that's coming out in the beginning of 2022? I mean, 2022 is the year of Chaos, according to GW. Yep. They have yep. stated that. Seems very yeah. likely. It's, very, it's pretty easy to look at this book and see what's going to go what's going to be in the CSM and going forward. Yeah. So. That's pretty exactly exciting. what I was thinking when looking at it. Yeah. It looks like they're going to get pretty, pretty nice. So tell us about what mission y'all played and what secondaries both of y'all took. So we played battle lines. That's the, uh, the four objective mission where they're in kind of a diamond shape. Um, our secondaries, I'll go over them. We made a, we made a mistake in that and I'll cover that. Um, I took, um, sorcerer's prowess, warp ritual and to the last. And then Zach took sorcerer's prowess mutate into the last. So the only difference was he was going to try to mutate each of the objectives, and I was going to try to mutate the center of the table. Um, we were both under the impression that the Sorcerer's Prowess was um, anytime you killed any Psyker. Uh, in reviewing later, I uh, discovered that um, it's you have to kill them with Psychic. Um, I don't think either of us would have taken Sorcerer's Prowess if we'd understood it properly. We both, we both would have taken Engage based on our battle plans and gotten probably the same 12 to 15 points. Um, but thankfully, so that really what that means is the majority of the difference between us was I was going to try to play to the center of the table, um, and he was going to try to take each of the objectives through rope ritual. 
Cool. So kind of walk us through the way you deployed and kind of what you saw when you looked across the table. I mean, it, it's like looking in a mirror, but when you look at that, what do you prioritize yeah. and why? So the, the, the few things that we have that are, are different from each other is um, my Terminator block is duplicity, is, is, is his time. So his is going to regenerate from damage because they have a spell that brings a, a guy back. So my intent was to try to use the, the Terminators from perspectives where they couldn't be targeted um, so that it, I don't have to worry about taking damage and then to eventually show them to him when I felt like he was out of time to actually kill them. Um, and then hopefully stress the fact that he could only teleport once with his umbrella crifters versus where I could just teleport every turn. Was that a time a pun? Was like he's out of time <laughs> with his cult of time? Well, it worked out, but I can't claim it. <laughs> so tell us, so tell us a little bit about how the game played from starting to turn one, and kind of what you uh, what you perceived was a mistake through the game. Yeah, and this, so, and this is a much different mission too. I mean, the Battlelands is the only four objective mission, so it is yeah. quite a different game. I actually think it's. Uh, I kind of, in getting ready for this tournament, I went through each of the missions and looked at my army and thought it through. And I think Battle Lines is the worst mission for Thousand Suns because um, it sort of pushes you to fully expose yourself if you want to get to three objectives. And if you only want to be on two, it's rough. Yeah, agreed. Um, I agree on that 100%. Um, it's interesting that, you know, Thousand Suns versus Thousand Suns, kind of the, the weakness evens out. Right? Um, so I deployed entirely hidden. Uh, I didn't expose anything. I gave up lots of space going forward, except for my Terminators, which I put out on the front line because I knew I could pull them back. Um, when we were all done deploying, Zach and I both looked at it, and every time we play, it's like a practice game. We can't help ourselves. We're talking through it and stuff. And we kind of agreed that whoever went first was in the in the worst of the two spots. Um, and we rolled, and we tied, and then we tied again, and then he finally won the roll and went first. Um, I obviously moved my Terminators from the front line all the way to the back line. That way I didn't have to actually physically hide them. They were out of range of anything, unless he wanted to push his uh, Forge Fiends really far forward. Uh, which would have been horrible because I would have just killed them for it. Um, all he did was sort of rearrange himself and push his rhino out onto one of the two objectives so that he could attend and sort of start the process. Um, and this is actually came to my turn. This is where I made my my very first mistake. Um, I popped my sorcerer out to the middle of the table. He did the psychic ritual, and I, or sorry, it was Aramon. He did psychic ritual, and then I popped him back. Um, when I popped him back, I did not completely surround him with things. I left him, I left him open on one side. Uh, and Zach's exalted sorcerer has the, uh, the disc that lets you advance and charge. And so he took that opportunity on his turn. He launched that character out. He, um, hit him with the warp time and shot him out again. And then he did a uncounterable, uh, twist of fate, turning off my invuln and dumped his character into my character and, uh, killed Aramon. What was important about this is Aramon is one of my two, the lasts, but that disc sorcerer is not one of Zach's to the lasts. Yeah, it's a nice five point swing for him on right. that. It's huge. And we had just talked that over how the person who is going second has this five point advantage. And I was sitting and I was deployed and I was ready to take advantage of making him force into that five points, right? I was like looking to make him make a mistake. And he started with, actually, I'm going to flip it on you now. You got to re- re- readjust. What I love about that play is it's so Thousand Suns. Like when I think of when I look at the book, it's so freaking complicated. There's so many mm-hmm. combos and stuff. <laughs> and you look at that, it's like that's like the most Thousand Suns thing I've ever heard. Like he, he oh, the, put all these. I love the fact that you just. I mean, that's the thing is, is with Thousand Suns, we'll go over it a lot with you, Chuck. It's just you have a lot of options with those cabal points. I think the, a lot of people when they first looked at this codex really underestimated the power and the just the things you can do, just the options that you get from those cabals yeah i keep trying to soup in death guard to bring in some plague burst crawlers and 
those cabal points keep bringing me back. Um, the complicated plays you can come up with and pull off, particularly late game, uh, it's it's hard not to do it. So one thing I want to know is when you took so you took Aramon in the center and you cast the power to um, you cast the power you did the secondary. So tell us how you were able to shoot him back. So with that one, I just did a um, just temporal surge. I've got that sorcerer with the prisma crystal, so he can do it uh, of twelve inch temporal surge. So I pushed him forward, put the sorcerer next to dreadnought, and then I just had him pop over. So the Aramon was back up amongst my Terminators, but he was alongside them and hanging out. Um, I should have exposed the Terminators to make sure Aramon was completely covered, but I did not properly conceive of the distance that this guy was going to go. So I didn't see yeah. that play coming. What's What's interesting is it was a it was a pretty technically complicated play into a technically complicated. Like you did a play that was like very Thousand Suns, then he Thousand Suns you. It's mm-hmm. it's nice. I like it. And, and to follow it up, I also spent the two CP so the Terminators could heroically intervene on that guy and kill him then. Um, so you were able was, to finish him off, but he, he had low he had low investment into it because it wasn't one of his, exactly. it wasn't a five points while we stand on him yet. The truth is I spent the two CP to move the Terminators because um, my follow-up move to that was, I was like, okay, so I need to, I need to start rearranging myself, right? Uh, because I, I was I was trying to take a defensive stance and now I'm going to have to make something happen on a side of the board that I wasn't ready to do that on. Um, so I moved them forward. And part of that was, is I had his Forge Fiend up on the objective on my right flank, uh, engaged with, with Chaos Spawn. So if I could just manage to not kill that Forge Fiend, I could, I could execute a wrap and leave my Terminators mid-table without any concern of being charged by his Terminators. And they obviously weren't going to shoot him. If I was able to do that, I would then be able to he'd either have to move his terminators back or you know not engage them that turn, or I would be able to charge his terminators, and that's a disaster, right? Um, unfortunately, that forge those 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 spawn went off like they have never done before, and they destroyed that Mauler fiend before even my terminators got to participate, really. Um, so I ended up not wrapping him and sort of it was it was a high risk play to put myself back into, into a spot and he killed five of my terminators in one go that turn. What was he bumping into? It was it all the mortal wounds that he can generate on the psychic phase mostly plus that uh, fiend, I guess. No, it's mostly the terminators. He, he just shot the terminators into the terminators. Um, they they do enough AP to bring you up to your invuln and they have a lot of damage. And then like even like minus one damage, the only thing that affects is the uh, is the missile launchers because it's just it's just a ton of one damage hits. So he did that, and then there's a little bit of directed psychic power that went into them. I did push. So you, you're doing you're dealing with AP two uh, bolters basically from those terminators, right? Like your yeah. basic guns are AP two. That's yeah, that's pretty gross. I had pushed my rhino up so that he wouldn't be able to bring full smite uh, onto them. Otherwise, he would have easily picked up probably all ten. I think. So beyond that, so at this point, you've lost half your terminator squad. Your your um, chaos spawner still sitting there. Are they full force after that. No, they're down to I think three. Okay. So where does the game move from here and what what plays do you make to try to get back into it after this? Yeah, I think it was turn three that that happened. And I looked at the board and what I decided was the thing to do was I was going to teleport the Terminators into his backfield. Um, I took a a single dice reroll off of my uh, Infernal Master. And the idea was I was going to shoot him. He had two rubric squads on his home objective. I was going to shoot one off with shooting and then charge in and kill the other one and take that ejector back from him. Um, It's a high risk play. Those dice are not anywhere near you know something i would normally want to put things into uh and it just didn't work but it was where i was at he'd already done so much damage to my score he'd pushed me down on the primary and he'd done a lot of damage to my to the last um that i was going to have to start start swinging uh, if i was going to if i was going to take a step forward uh, the play didn't work interestingly enough those terminators survived the game they hung out back there uh, and then bounced away later um and then in the fifth turn zach had taken enough of the table and his terminators are just sort of less you know unmolested in the center of the table that I there was nowhere for me to hide that was also getting points, so I was only able to get ten of the the fifteen on the primary in the last turn. 
And that's really where he got me was he got me at about a two to the last and uh, 15 off a of primary. And I, I'd fallen too far behind to actually take him out. Even actually, sorry, 10 off of the primary and the 10 off the two last was enough. So we finished How at did- 81 67. Like I, it was, it's weird to say that's close, but that's only like one play off of swinging it back the other way. How did you feel like the Volkites played into the mirror here versus his fiends that he had on the other side? Um, I used the Volkites as places that my characters could go hide. Um, but I didn't really, like, it was nice when I could shoot their guns. They were very good at killing his rhino. Um, but that was just about it. Um, shooting at his, his, at his other models isn't that big of a deal. They're going to have a two plus save unless I spend a CP. Um, the way I built this list, it's super CP starved, um, which is not good uh, for Thousand Sons. But for the most part, um, I was actually really unsatisfied with the contemptors throughout the tournament uh, because they were, their points are a little higher than another dreadnought would be, but also because they, they take a CP away as well. Um, and I would have rather had that in most most cases. I'm going to save that for part two because I feel like a great question for part two for part dose, which is also known as the witching hour, aka the Brad hour. <laughs> the Brad. That, that the Bradening, yes, the Bradening. <laughs> I, uh, I I definitely want to know where you want to put those points. So that's put a put a bookmark there. So we're gonna we're gonna come back to it. All right. So oh, I'm all about the hour too. When you when you look at this matchup and looking at it now, do you see this as a neutral matchup for you, or do you see it as uh, an unfavorable matchup or anything like that? I think Zach's list is more likely to win this matchup than mine. Um, there's a lot of problems in my army. Uh, I made it with very little experience playing it, and there's a lot of powers that are in here that I didn't need. Um, I honestly could cut that sorcerer and redistribute the powers and have 90 points to spend on other things, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it, it, there's a lot of loose in, in this list that it can be tightened up. I think once I've tightened that up, I do think, and I, Zach and I, well, I'm sure we'll have infinite discussions on this. I believe the Terminators being able to bounce around is more important than the ability to bring the Terminators back. And it is the quantifying part of how our two ways of playing Thousand Suns are different from each other. He's going for more durable... I'm going for more flexible. That that whole sentence, that whole statement you just made there has Brad just like sitting there like screaming internally like, yes, <laughs> wait for part two. We're doing it. We're doing it big. I can just see it. I can see it now. He's so muted right now. So many That's, things yeah. to go. All right. So let me, uh, one of the questions people always ask uh, from our guests is when you sit down and you think about a game, just like you just did, what is your process for looking at a loss and kind of learning from it? I think the first thing I do, which is actually really, really hard to do is just remember the game all the way through without making any decisions like if i can just actually remember all the pieces um then i want to assess like there's a point at which that i i I believe very strongly in the idea of tempo you know somebody's in charge of the game and then they the other person does something that puts them back into the pole position you're forcing each other acting whoever's acting is probably the person who's um going to have a some sort of dice failure or uh, operations failure that's going to cause a problem that you can take advantage of and so i always want to try to push my opponent into the one being doing the acting that i can respond to so anytime i see where i gave that up or i didn't take it back for myself i think those are the big points that i look at that's where um zach's great move where he shot his sorcerer out and killed Armon was 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 a massive was a massive move right it cost me five off of that it cost me a, a, a great piece uh, I had to spend CP to get the Weaver of Fates back uh, on a different character. Like it, it, he hit me really hard with one move, um, and it cost him very little. He was he was fine with it. So it was an excellent trade. And then that follow up turn where each time I tried to uh, take a high risk a higher risk move to get myself back in, and then it didn't work. Is I kind of sort of slowly sort of sliding down that slope. Um, and then I always want to just like, should I have not done high risk moves and just 
hung out or should I have, or was going for it correct? I think I've made the right choices. Um, and it just didn't work out other than, you know, exposing Aramon to being assassinated, which was just a, a lack of knowledge on my part. Awesome, man. We appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about best in faction here? I know that's, that's one of your big, yeah. uh, your podcast there. And I, I'm sure most people know what it is, but just go ahead and give us your spiel on it, man. Yeah. If you're, if you're not aware of best in faction and you're listening to this show, um, if you like to hear about games, that's what we do. Um, now we've been doing a little bit less of that, uh, cause we can't go to as many tournaments, but when we go to tournaments, we come back and, uh, myself, Colin Sherman and Mitch Bellum, we sit down and talk through what happened in our games, what we thought was important, um, what the winning and the losing points of those games were. Um, and then like generally how we thought our lists were performing. We also talk about, you know, basically anything else in, in the hobby from what we think is good to what we're excited to play next. And then we try to like, cut that a little bit with the idea of uh, like we're doing right now, we call it better human, better 40 K. It's just like, how can you be a better person and how does being a better person translate into being better at 40 K? Um, so it's I a love little, that little mix. And that's then, great. And we, that's, I do think, and it does help. I'm not going to lie. The oh, friendly, yeah. The friendlier your games are, I say this all the time, playing by intent, being a cool dude means that you're going to have more fun and tell you the truth. You can play a super competitive game and be cool. Mm-hmm. And it's actually easier to play a high level game with both people being very gentlemen at the table. It's so much easier. Yeah. I've seen the opposite of that so many times where somebody's a jerk and then like nobody works with them anymore. And it's like, great. You were, you, you got like one or two very small benefits and now a community of people don't want to practice with you anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well done. You're out of the game. Like <laughs> do something to fix that. We've already had Mitch on the show, so I'm waiting for Colin to lose. I feel like we need to do the trifecta. Uh, of, I'm sorry, it's going to be a while. Well. <laughs> yeah, go, Chuck. We need you to go beat beat Colin just so we can Oof. have him on our show. So we can so we can have well, all three, y'all. That'd be the that'd be the great. Brad is going to have to do real good in the Bradning if he wants to get me there. I think my win ratio with Colin is down at something like ten percent. And that's, that's being our goal. Generous to me. So <laughs> we're, the Brad, the, the Brad, the mad Brad hour is going to, uh, gonna we're get... going to do a full faction focus on how to beat this. Honing <laughs> <laughs> in. So as uh, the last part of this episode, every episode we do a Q and a from our war room members, the war room is one of the benefits of the art of war 40 K.com. You can go there, subscribe. It's a private Facebook page where all of our coaches do private coaching, uh, like us, they do little sessions where they talk about strategy, talk about factions, talk about math. Brad loves math, so all, all kinds of stuff like that. So go check it out, theartofwar40k.com. We have one question this week. It is our standing question. It comes from myself, who is a War Room member, Blake Law. What events are you doing this fall, Chuck? Oh, man, it's hard to find events here. Um, I'm looking at a smaller one in Olympia, and then we got a couple of other ones going on uh, coming late in October, but nothing big. We're not, like I don't have any GTs on the horizon. Uh, it's mostly just going to be playing practice games and getting ready, hoping that Vegas is uh, you know, a different world so we can get out there and play. A bunch of made-up cities in Washington. U- yeah. <laughs> U- Ushalasha, Washington is going to have a big GT this this uh, fall. Yeah, that'd be great. But then, you but, know, I got I got to play the throw bug in there. You know, there'll be, there'll be a charity hammer uh, coming at the beginning of next year. So that's that'll be one of the big things I'm pushing towards. Count me in. <laughs> if it's not the invitational, I, I'm, I'm there. I, I, I'd love the trip for Washington. I could talk some people into going up there, so that'd be good. Um, well, thanks for coming again, man. I'm looking forward to talking to you in the Brad Hour here and uh, here shortly. So make sure to join us for part two, everybody. Make sure to check out our other podcast, uh, Art of War Vanilla with Tim Penny and John Lennon. How did I forget John Lennon's name? I just went, I went blank there. <laughs> 
Artie War Vanilla, John Penny, John Penny. Oh my John gosh, Penny. John Penny. There is only one. If you want to just make up a few more names, <laughs> there, there is only one get one host. His name is John Penny. He is a collection of two souls that have are hosting the Art of War Vanilla. So make sure to check it out. We also have the Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. So make sure to check that out as well at theartofwar40k.com. Make sure to check out all of our coaching services. You can hire Brad to do literally anything you want. After hours. <laughs> it's true. Right. All right. Thanks for listening. Check out part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com. 